Uh, welcome to the Transportation and the Legislature panel. My name is Ian Mitra. I'm the managing editor of the Texas Tribune. Uh, I'd like to, first of all, uh, welcome this distinguished panel. Uh, let me introduce each uh, legislator individually. Starting first to my left, uh, Senator Bob Hall, a Republican from Edgewood, serving in his first term representing District 2. In addition to serving on the Senate Transportation Committee, Senator Hall serves on several other committees, including the Agriculture, Water and Rural Affairs, and the Veteran Affairs and Military Installations Committee. Senator Hall has worked as a systems engineer in the aerospace industry, and before that, he served our nation in the US Air Force. To his left is Senator Don Huffines, a Republican from Dallas who is also serving in his first term, representing District 16. In addition to being the vice chairman of the Senate Transportation Committee, he serves on the administration, business and commerce, and education committees. He has served as a delegate to the 2008 and 2012 Republican National Conventions, and he is the co-founder of Huffines Community, Communities, one of the largest real estate developers in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Also with us is State Representative Armando Mondo Martinez, a, de a Democrat from Westlaco who has served in the Texas legislature since his 2004 election. He's the vice chairman of the House Transportation Committee and also serves on the House Higher Education and Emerging Issues and Texas Law Enforcement Committees. A licensed paramedic, Martinez has worked with the Westlaco Fire Department and also serves as a coordinator with the Dep Texas Department of Health. And last but not least, State Representative Joe Pickett, an El Paso Democrat who has served in the legislature since 1995. He is the chairman of the House Transporta Transportation Committee and also sits on the House Redistricting and Investments and Financial Services Committees. Between the 2013 and 25, 2015 legislative sessions, he chairs the Select Committee on Transportation Planning. And he's been a real estate educator for more than 20 years, having written textbooks on real estate laws for continuing education classes. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us, and thank you all for being here. Uh, just to briefly talk about the format that we're going to do, we're going to do about a 40-minute uh, session between us where we'll talk, and then we're going to open up to uh, your questions after that. Uh, so if it's okay, we'll go ahead and get started. On November 3rd of this year, Proposition 7 will be up to Texas voters. $2.5 billion of general sales tax revenue is eligible to go to the highway fund under this. And there's also an earmark for some future motor vehicle sales taxes. This proposition comes to Texas voters two years after Proposition 1 was approved by 80% of Texas voters. That brought taxes in from the oil and gas boom toward road construction. About $2.5 billion was, is, was marked from that. This is in addition to $1.3 billion in diversions of gas tax money that was ended from being diverted to other sources, uh, other, uh, uh, other issues to put straight into transportation. So with this proposition being, if it passes, uh, Senator Hall, I'll start with you. Are all our problems solved? <laughs> well, that's an easy one to answer. Absolutely not. Uh, but it's, it's certainly bending the curve in the right direction. Uh, it's uh, long overdue, and I think uh, when Proposition 1 was on the ballot, as I was talking to someone here a while ago with all the flyers that went out, most of the population that voted for it, and it had passed overwhelmingly, and it did so because most people were led to believe that by voting for Proposition 1, it was going to end toll roads in right. Texas, which uh, we knew wasn't necessarily true, but that's what people thought. And most of the polls that are out show that it's one of the major issues of, with, with the voters out there. Uh, but we also know with the growing population that we've got and uh, the condition of many of our roads that uh, it's going to take a lot more than that. And uh, this session with Proposition 7, I think we've taken another major step, uh, ending some of the diversions that we have, uh, adding uh, the sales tax the way we have, moves us in that direction. And I think the legislators made it real clear that the intent is to move towards free roads, not toll roads. So I think it's, a, it's taken it in the right direction, but I still think we have a lot of work to do next session, uh, not just in the money that's uh, made available. Remember, the, the percentage of our, what we spend at the state in transportation has declined significantly over the years. Uh, but uh, we also need to take a look at uh, how we go about doing roads. And, uh, and I think that we've started that process. So to answer your question, no, it does not solve it, but it's, it takes us in the right direction and, and lays the, the foundation for our work in the, in the next session. 
Uh, Senator Huffines, uh, how far down the road does this take us in terms of addressing our problems, transportation? Well, that's a good question, and I like to say that there's good news and bad news from last session. The good news is we do have Proposition 7 for the voters to approve, and I'm uh, confident they will, uh, and it's going to get us about $2.5 billion up to $3 billion and after 2020, more money for the highway fund. The bad news, though, is that's about half or less than half of the money we really need in this state. You know, we've had two decades now really neglecting funding our road system that used to make up 30% of our budget, and today it makes up seven or eight. It's going to increase, though. But uh, it, we've just got to, we, you know, we've got to have good roads, and the only way we can get rid of toll roads, which I think the voters are very clear, and in the, in the, in the taxpayers of Texas, they don't want to be taxed twice on toll roads. It's a bad idea, and it's bad government policy, is to have more money. When we have more money into TxDOT and the highway fund, we can eliminate the toll roads and we can quit selling a lot of paper. And we've had great leadership in the Senate. Now, Senator Nichols, Chairman of Transportation, did a great job on SJR5, as did Chairman Pickett here, and they mm -hmm. came up with a really good plan that I think the voters will be approving. Uh, Representative Martinez, uh, how close are we to solving this problem? Well, I think uh, we're not as close as we want to be. We're probably at about the 10-yard line right now. You know, we want to score. We want to make sure that TxDOT has what it needs. And if you look over the past couple of sessions on what we've done with transportation, of course, with the leadership in the House by Chairman Pickett and what he has done with us and, and the ideas that he's come up with, is you need to have that, uh, that, that, that forward thinking of what we can do in order to improve the system and how we can bring that money to TxDOT and the needs for transportation in, in the state. And I think when you continue to have innovative ideas of, first of all, using Prop 1 money, which comes out of our economic stabilization fund, and then this session using vehicle sales tax, which we all hope passes, uh, I, I think we're headed in the right direction. Are we there yet? No, we're not. But I think we're headed in the right direction. And I look forward to future legislation that we may come up with all together, working with our partners in the Senate to make sure that we address this issue on transportation. That is a need for everybody throughout the state of Texas. Representative Pickett. Were we as forward-thinking in the, this year's session as you had hoped? Uh, yes, we were. I think actually a little bit more than uh, some of my colleagues thought. Your question was, will this fix everything? Well, if it passes on November 3rd, the answer, yes, it fixes everything until about November 7th or 8th. Um, <laughs> but come the 9th or 10th, we better start working on next session already. Mm -hmm. What was different about Prop 7 is Senator Nichols and I tried to take into consideration where we are today with other sources of revenue. We haven't raised the gas tax since 1991, and that doesn't mean I'm proposing to do it, I'm just trying to state a fact, it has not risen. We haven't changed the registration fees since 93, it's just a fact, I'm not necessarily proposing that. But we also wished we had done different things in 91 and 93. In this particular proposal, we base the 2.5 billion off of sales tax, general sales tax, because it affects everybody that uses infrastructure, whether you ride a bike, take mass transit, uh, you walk, you have an e-vehicle, you buy something. But the second part of this was really Senator Nichols's way to try to address the future, and we're gonna base this 35% of what we, the state collects, over $5 billion a year on motor vehicle sales tax. And if you look at where we're going to be in 15, 20, 25 years, we believe the second part of Prop 7 is going to outgrow the first part of Prop 7. So we did something that took into consideration the future. So we did probably much better than what a lot of people originally had thought. Mm -hmm. It's not a one-time deal, which is good news. Prop 1 by itself was great because we switched cash with borrowed money but it just kept us status quo. We pretty much are out of borrowing money, so if we had not done Prop 1, we would have dropped off the edge, and you really would have noticed a difference right now. Even if we didn't do Prop 1 and we were gonna just have what we now call Prop 7, we'd still be clawing our way out. I still believe there's some low-hanging fruit. I still believe there is anywhere between 200 to $700 million a year that the legislature can identify without additional tax increases, but it's still going to take working with the House and working with the Senate and the leadership that we're all um, working with to make that happen next session. So I'm already looking down 
the road. And this isn't catching the football without looking. Uh, if Prop 7 passes, great. If Prop 7 doesn't pass, all of these gentlemen here are going to have to do something accession, whether it passes or not. So we've had two consecutive sessions where we've created a uh, constitutional amendment election. Uh, are we expecting, I'm, I'm opening this up to everybody, are we going to the voters again uh, after this? Do you anticipate that? Or is this something that we're going to try to address in the session too with terms of uh, funding? I'm, I made a comment to the governor, uh, lieutenant governor and the speaker that I thought this would be the last constitutional amendment for a while because I think we wear out the public. I think Senator Hall made a point where in his area, he believes a lot of people voted for Prop 1 because it was ending tolls. I was very careful, as was Senator Nichols, going around the state saying, this isn't the end all, and we're going to have something next time. So we have another proposal, but I think the public, this is successful, are going to say, we voted for Prop 1, you said no increase, we voted for Prop 7, and if you bring us another one, I think they're going to start questioning why. I, I think there's other things that we can do without a constitutional amendment. Senator Huffines, do you agree with that or is that? I think that's probably true. Uh, I think they were gonna need a lot more money for, for the highway system, but whether it takes a constitutional amendment or not, I'm not sure. I really, it probably doesn't. I mean, right now, I don't know if we explained it real clearly, everything over the sales tax revenue over 28 billion, the next two and a half billion will go into the highway fund. And it's 35% over five billion of motor vehicle sales tax. So that's gonna help. It definitely will, but uh, it's, it's just not enough. I mean, when TxDOT came out and said that last session, which was fine, they said we needed $5 billion more into the system, it, it had a little footnote there that most people didn't read, and that was if we, didn't, if we keep building more toll roads and yep. if we keep selling a lot of paper. So we, need to, we just need to track away from all that. A DFW is going to be, uh, I mean, every single major road in, in, the, in the Metroplex is going to be towed with a managed lane. And we just, it, it's not fair that only rich people can avoid traffic. And, and so we're, we're going to come to an end to that process, but it's going to take more money. Uh, Representative Martinez, uh, have we hit our limit on what we can take from general sales tax and from motor vehicle sales tax, or is there still some room? Well, I'm sure there is still some room that, that we can work on that. But anytime you, you make an amendment to your, uh, your, your constitution, it's going to have to go out to the public. And I think, and that's kind of uh, a bridge into what you had mentioned earlier in your earlier question about going back to the voters and uh, going out and seeing exactly what else we can do. But if that's something that's going to take a change in our constitution or amend our constitution, of course, it's going to have to go back out to the public for a vote. Uh, have we hit our limit? I don't think so. I think there's other ways and innovative ways to look at it and see what we can address and how we can uh, touch those issues to see if we can raise more funds. But it's going to take innovative thinking to see, uh, just like what Chairman Pickett said, is we haven't raised the, the fuel tax uh, since the 90s. So what can we do to get there uh, without having to, uh, to either go out for another constitutional amendment or can we reach our limit in, in doing that? And I believe there is ways to do it, but we just have to be innovative in doing that. So we've mentioned the uh, gas tax a couple of times now, and we're not saying that we're going to do this in the next session, but uh, let's talk about that. What, what is the capacity here for the gas tax and increasing it? Is that something that anyone is open to, or is that something that's a possibility? No. No, I, 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 I don't think so. I mean, I'm, my feeling, in, in, and I agree with what was said about the, the constitutional aspect, we just have to make sure that the funding source is, is predictable, and dependable because without the constitutional amendment, one session of the legislature can't bind the next one. So while we make funds available, and, and highway construction is a long-term process. It's not put the money up now and build it tomorrow. And so we have to have it predictable. So as long as we can come up with a way of having sure the funds would be there, uh, we, we certainly can do that. I would say gas taxes, it would, it would be a DOA to raise a gas tax. Yeah, I mean, Senate. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I've said for a long time, Texas does not have a revenue problem. It has a spending problem. I think we have plenty of revenue. It's just how we decide to spend it. And we saw that this past session. We came up with significant tax cuts. We have a surplus. We didn't spend all the money. We left a lot of it on the table. And I think there's other than the fact that we you see what comes out of the oil and gas this, past, this year. But I think we see that there is money out there that we could use and eventually save money for the people of Texas because building and operating the toll road concept 
is very, very expensive to the people of Texas. And the gas tax doesn't always go for construction. I mean, look, 25% out there for education right. on it constitutionally, and there's a lot of diversions out of that fund. We fixed a lot of that this session, but just because you raise a gas tax doesn't mean it's going to go to pour more concrete. And, and bleeding, uh, being the most bleeding liberal on this panel, not really, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't be opposed to it because I could sit down and show you the argument where it's actually conservative, especially if you look at the debt that we have amassed, but it all based on the legislature. Uh, when the Democrats were in control, they didn't want to raise a gas tax. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's a hard vote to take. There's a lot of people, and I'm a realist. If I was able to get a bill out on the floor to increase the gas tax, I could do that. I could probably do that very easy. The reason is there's so many people that would want to vote against it so they could increase their conservative rating. Out of 150 members, I think we'd have probably 160, 170 votes against a gas tax. <laughs> but I'm realistic about what you can do with the leadership that you're working with. And um, Rick Perry was good to work with. The General Abbott has been very, excuse me, not General Abbott anymore. Governor Abbott's been very involved in transportation. And I like some of the things and where it's going. Senator Hall mentioned uh, tolls. I'm not a fan. But I will tell my colleagues that we'll all need each other's help because it's going to be tough taking um, tolls away from bureaucracy. My own community, we have a road that should not be tolled. There is no debt. should not be tolled. I've been trying to get the city council, because I've been working on the other end. I think I can get the toll removed. I can get Mr. Bug and his colleagues maybe to listen to a proposal. But the bureaucracy, the Regional Mobility Authority, is fighting me. They're working the city council. And I'm just one, and they're working the city council, and they're afraid for this bureaucracy to go away. And I'm a visitor here to Austin. There's some tolls here that are, make absolutely no sense. 290 East, that shouldn't exist. That should go away. Anytime you have a managed lane, you are not helping congestion. They're doing Mopac North. They're going to do Mopac South. And tell me what the congestion is today, and as soon as that opens, Tell me what it is a year from then. It's almost going to be nondescript. It's not going to change. Now, I do, though, think that there are some tolls that need to exist. You couldn't have done certain projects in certain parts of the state, and especially if it's entirely tolled and it's bonded and used for that purpose. But what we have out there now, and I salute San Antonio for removing one that's been in their plan, but in my community, we were told, if you don't toll, we're going to cut your funds. And we have a project that just broke ground. That's a toll. There's no debt. There are no bonds been issued for that. But my community is going forward because the RMA doesn't want to lose their power. So what we would have to do collectively is work on that bureaucracy mm -hmm. that exists just to collect tolls. Ours right now, it costs a dollar to collect a dollar. I'm not getting the buck to do anything in my community. State's not getting it, it's just the entity that collects it. You know, and, and many times it's very easy for us to say that uh, we need money and we need to find that money, but when we don't make those hard decisions on how to fund it, and we don't uh, come together and say, well, this is what needs to be done, whether it is raising a gas. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm for that, but I'm just saying we can't make those hard decisions and do what's right for Texas. It's like squeezing uh, blood out of a turnip. You know, if you cannot find a way to fund it, how are we going to continue to do that? And uh, I think everybody needs to come together. And instead of, it's like uh, Chairman Pickett just mentioned, you know, instead of people thinking about their conservative rating and how they're, they're scored, thinking about what's right for Texas and the right direction that we're headed in order to make those decisions for the people of Texas. Senator, you want to say? Yeah, I think I agree with most, most of what was said down there, not all, almost all, all of it. And the point there that is, it's not just money to solve our problem. We have to look at mm -hmm. the entire way we do transportation in Texas, particularly highways, with all the entities we have between the RMAs and the RTCs and the COGS and uh, overlapping redundant organizations and uh, a great deal of money that could be pouring concrete is wasted on administrative overhead for these organizations, and they don't always work in the best interest of the people. We just saw it in, in uh, North Texas, where the, uh, the COG took a vote on uh, the issue of uh, the question was basically, 
as the legislature contend, continues to increase funding for transportation, should we reduce or continue the number of toll road projects we have planned? And the vote was to continue with the, the number of toll roads. And that was after a lot of discussion, the fact that the legislature has, has put up every sign you could possibly put up that says we need to end toll roads, but they're still voting to put them up, up there. So we need to look at, at, at other things other than just money to fix our problem. We need to generate more money off red light cameras. <laughs> I'm just We're kidding. Gonna do that. I'm just kidding. We, we can get a discussion going. I will file that in the house for you. And I'm serious about that. Yeah. I, I just want to comment that we need to also use our money wisely. And that hasn't always been done. I mean, an example of that right now is the proposal for I-35 here in Travis County, Williamson County, down to Hayes County. And that proposal is to spend four to four and a half billion dollars on I-35 be under construction for four to five years. And it took everybody three years to come up with this plan. And it's gonna add one lane, one managed lane. And at it, you know, so we, we have to be very careful about what we're doing, especially when we're spending that kind of money for the Texas taxpayers. And if you came up with $250 million a year, if you could just say 250 for what? Just wait a minute, find $250 million a year you could remove the toll off of 130. And we've already gone through that exercise, but I'm being fought on that too. I mean, and I'm looking at this statewide, not just my community. If my community doesn't want to remove the tolls because of the bureaucracy and the power that that gives them, maybe somebody else does. And, and I agree that we're not spending our money correctly. And there's, there's one that's really hard to get your arms around the cost of the construction itself. It's, it's going through the roof. And is there anything we as government can do about that? I don't think we've talked about it enough to, to determine whether the answer is yes or no, but it, it's an expensive proposition, and I'm not so sure that there isn't something that we can do to at least lower the cost as well of what a, a standard project. Well, one thing we there. could do is, is build the roads quicker so we can get ahead of the inflation curve and the demand curve. I, I think what the Don and Chairman Pickett had to say is absolutely right, and it's, um, and it's spending the money wisely. I looked at an analysis that showed that if you took, that we're building a road between two points, A and B, and you were projecting a, a billion dollar cost to build that road, by the time you finish building it and collecting the, the three, the 75% bonding that went into putting it in and the cost of collection and the uh, the cost of the concession and so on like that, you really, it costs the taxpayers about $1.9 billion. If you took that same road and took off all the toll road trappings that you put on there, the toll loans, lanes just for collecting tolls and all the other, take out the cost of collection, take out all of that and just build it for cash, you know, kind of like we operate our families, you can get that same road for about $600 million. And an intermediate is to say, well, we, we still don't have enough cash to do the $600 million. We still need to finance it. You could look at an alternate financing that is not tolling, so you don't have that bureaucracy that comes with tolling. And what the chairman said about cost a dollar to collect a dollar, that's right. Many places where it costs as much or more to collect than what it is. But you did it with a, say, take the uh, economic growth that goes in when we know from from history that when you put in a, a road with service roads on either side, the economy grows for a mile or two miles out significantly. Well, look at using the incremental increase in sales tax, the state part of the incremental increase. Leave the property tax values alone, leave the municipalities with theirs, but just take that increment. You could pay for that road and not have to toll it. It just as a, you know, a different way of doing business. So uh, the Texas Department of Transportation has kind of said you know, even with this funding they needed just to even maintain current levels of congestion, an extra four to five billion dollars uh, a year, and that's kind of what we're approaching at with this proposition. Um, but they also said that uh, it requires some room for toll roads. Uh, we've touched on this a little bit, but could you talk a little bit about, you know, if we're, not, we're talking about zeroing out toll roads, how do you replace that money uh, to address that need, because we're still talking about maintaining current levels of congestion. Well, Mr. Hall, actually, Senator Hall is uh, uh, my Senate 
sponsor on a little bill that's going to try to at least give us some insight. Nobody has really um, inventoried everything that's out there. And the number will probably be scary, but TxDOT has been directed to inventory all the toll facilities out there, and then starting with the TxDOT operated tolls, you are to come with a plan on how to end them. Well, that plan that may come may shock a lot of us, and it may be a, a big number, but instead of just people wondering and throwing out numbers without any real um, definitive information behind it, we're going to have something. So the $5 billion a year, no, it does not include trying to remove what's out there. It is going to cost more. But I think we still need to look at this as a, a different way. I didn't take this position until just recently. I'm against managed lanes. I'm not against all tolls. Managed lanes is just a you know, code word for a toll, but it's a managed lane right next to free lanes, and you're basically, uh, yeah, thumbing your nose at the people right next to you and not doing anything about congestion, because a managed lane does not help with congestion. Right. It just raises money for a bureaucracy. If you can't build a 35E in North Texas because it's $3 billion, and if Prop 7 is successful, it means about $3 billion by the time each part goes mm -hmm. into play. Mm -hmm. There's one project in Texas that would eat that all up, so it's, it's not enough. So there, there has to be something. And maybe you give up one for another. Maybe we've made some mistakes and some of the tolls existed should not be told and something else maybe should be told. I think it still should be a regional decision, but I want to help the regions make that with good information. You know, uh, Hectra in, in Houston, again, Katie Freeway, some of those things, there just wasn't enough money. And it's not all TxDOT. It's the legislature saying we're not going to give you the general revenue because you've got gas tax and registration, but we'll let you borrow. So we've only been borrowing for 10 years, but we've amassed $18 billion in debt that's going to cost us 30 to pay back. Mm -hmm. One of the things next session I think we should look at is how we start re uh, reducing that debt at a faster pace. Right now, $1.3 billion a year out of TxDOT's budget goes to reduce debt. So that tells me every dollar you reduce paying debt is another dollar to build or maintain a road. So let's, there's some things that we can do there too. You else want to address that? Well, no. I, go ahead. Go, go, go ahead. We've been on well, tolls a lot. I, Sorry. I think what, uh, in, in regard to tolls, and I think Chairman Pickett had mentioned something a little earlier, is that you know, in his community, they have the money uh, in order to build the roads. Well, why toll it? And, and I agree with that. You know, I, I'm not against all tolls, uh, obviously, because, for example, in the Valley, we're going to have to sell bonds in order to get uh, one of our truck corridors uh, built, and it's going to be tolled. Uh, so I think that uh, going back and looking at tolls and seeing if you have the revenue to build it, and that's probably why the whole inception of tolls began, is because there wasn't revenue, and we were so behind. And and in the hole by $5 billion that TxDOT could not go out there and build all the roads, so we needed to have that innovative idea of how to build it. And I believe if, if the money is there to where you don't have to toll, then you shouldn't have to do it. But I believe if you don't have it, that should be an alternative for you to utilize so that you can get roads built in your communities. Absolutely. I, I would not say take toll roads out of the toolbox, but it should be properly used. It should not be used to be a revenue generator. Take an example, 121 in Collin County, it was put in, uh, NTTA built that. It cost about less than $700 million to build that piece of road. They now have tolling rights in perpetuity. They're collecting tolls at a rate of about $130 million a year now. So over the next 30, 40 years, they will collect $10 billion in, in tolls. It's, it's, a, it's an alternate form of taxing the people without representation. It's, it's really unelected officials that are now taxing money and dispersing it among these groups that I talked about a while ago, the RTC, the RMA, and the COGS, and using it. And that's not the proper role of government, but it is in a proper role where you do like we did on, one, on 30, going between Dallas and Arlington, you put a, use a bond, use, use the bond as a, for, and toll, and pay off the bond, and when the bond is gone, you take the toll off. You don't use the road as a cash cow or an alternative to taxing. Now, I know we've talked too much about tolls. We do need to plan, though, on the backside because 
I'll tell you what the argument is going to be for some folks and why. Why would you have a toll in El Paso that there's no debt on? Because when TechStack came down and said, uh, you have to, we're going to cut your funds, the second half of that was, we, TechStack, don't have any future money. And believe it or not, we give TechStack more money to maintain what we have than to build what we have. And so the argument will be, okay, there's no um, need for bonds to build the road, but who's going to maintain it? Well, that's what Prop 1, Prop 7, and whatever we start coming up with in the future. And Prop 7 has some other things in there that I wanted to make sure were put in there. I could leave tomorrow, but what's going to happen is we have sunset provisions in both Part 1 and Part 2, mm -hmm. and they're offset. So instead of the legislature waiting for a disaster, an emergency, the legislature from here on out is going to be forced to talk about transportation on a regular basis. So I feel pretty confident that there is some low-hanging fruit around the state of Texas that we can remove those tolls because we said we're putting them on there because we don't have the future monies to maintain the roads. Well, that's our job. Our job is to find that money when you need it in 2020 and 2025 mm -hmm. and 2030. And instead of it being only known by a few people, it needs to be known by all the members of the legislature. And every four to six years, we will have to address it the way we offset those sunset provisions. You know, one thing I liked what Senator Hall said is about having that tool in the toolbox. And, and I'm all about that. I think whether it's a comprehensive development agreement, a public-private partnership, you know, having tools, you need to allow your locals to have that option to where they can make that decision if they are strapped for cash, they don't have the money to build it have an option to where they can utilize those tools to get those road built. And then maybe after it's built, tolls go away. You know, that, that could be an option. But have those tools available for your public to have and, and your communities to have. And I would say, I would agree with that right up to you said public-private partnerships and CDS. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. I'm trying to speak that way. Absolutely. <laughs> because if they just do the bond, uh, yeah. we wouldn't have to pay those gosh-awful okay. Uh, concession fees and and give it up for the length of time because those those companies that want that you know they want they want four or five times return on what they put into it. I'm okay I'm okay with a bond that's on there for what it costs to put the concrete down and some maintenance on it in there. But it, but that money that's being collected as tolls then is going into the road, not off into the investment bankers. Well, they have system wide yeah. financing is why. Yeah, yeah. they use the the and. We got to stop that. Mm -hmm. If you want to stop, you know. I just want to quickly touch on uh, a law that uh, Governor Greg Abbott signed, uh, HB 20, House Bill 20, just uh, about transparency in the Texas Department of Transportation. Uh, I just wanted to get uh, your insight as to what the issue was here and why we needed to pass that legislation. Well, there was more than HB 20, there's HB 13, but I killed my own bill. That's another story. Um, <laughs> but we put some of that in 20. One of my personal problems, and it wound up being more than me personally, when people started looking at how the process has been going on, there was a panel earlier where a councilman from uh, Dallas had thanked, you know, whatever happening, transit money first got spent. That was a great deal. Well, it was because it was meant to hide something. And TxDOT approached persons who didn't know what questions to ask and implied that this money was from the federal government, that it was a grant, had to be used by 5 o'clock, or you lose it to some other place. Well, if you're a city council person, you're going, oh, well, we want it before someone else gets it. What TxDOT needs to do is not be doing that. TxDOT needs to stop making hundreds of millions of dollars worth of changes in category funding in a 1,300-page document in, where nobody is allowed to question it, ask a question, and part of the transparency is those should be required to be done at a public hearing. TxDOT should be required, uh, full disclosure. If they approach a community, if they approach a RMA, COG, whatever it is, they need to assume that they know nothing about transportation funding and tell them what all the pitfalls are, what the uses are. We're having a local fight in my community about CMAC dollars, congestion mitigation air quality dollars. They're very hard to spend. They're only for Houston, Dallas, and El Paso. And if we can't spend ours, um, it would go to possibly Dallas or Houston. We can convert some of those dollars. If we convert it, then it becomes something you can use all over the state of Texas. So be careful what you wish for. But who knows that? TxDOT knows all of that. 
but the people they're dealing with don't necessarily. And so we do need that, that, that transparency. We do need TxDOT to treat every single project in every community, county, city as if they have no idea what TIP, MTP, CMA, QSTP means. They just need to treat it that way. I think the current leadership is on that path, but I believe they're going to need some suggestions from the 85th legislature during sunset. <laughs> we just have a few more minutes before I'd like to open it up to the audience for questions. Uh, I want to transition to uh, high-speed rail, which was kind of an issue during this session. Uh, there was a budget rider for uh, the bullet train uh, that came out right before the budget was passed. Uh, and uh, is it possible that this, you know, this bullet train plan, I want to hear from you to talk more about this plan and your concerns about it uh, in terms of will it ever, you know, the plan is here for this, is this, for this to, uh, to be completely privately funded with no, nothing from, you know, state coffers. Is that possible? I'll take it up because it's, it certainly is a Dallas issue and Houston issue. I think it's very possible. And, and look, this is the private sector at work, and there's, they're, not, they're not asking anything from the state of Texas. Trains, trains and train tracks are owned privately. I mean, Burlington Northern, all the freight lines are owned privately. So, you know, this is, a, this is a great thing for the state of Texas. I mean, to spend $10 billion here, they just came out with a study that says it's going to have an economic impact generator of 30 plus billion dollars is huge. And it's something we've got, it, it's something that we've got to embrace and, and work with is, is the private industry spending $10 billion here. If the Japanese want to buy that paper, that, that debt at, at, at 50 basis points, let them. And, it, and their, their argument is that it's going to go broke and the state of Texas is going to be stuck with it and we're going to make up the difference. That's just really not true at all. I mean, look, energy holdings just went broke. And they, that was a $40 billion deal, and, they, and that's putting the lights on. There's nothing more important than electricity. The state of Texas had nothing to do with bailing them out, right? And it's going to be the same with the train situation if something like, unfortunately, happens like that. Everyone I'm all for it. Well, I have, for the to, train. I have to agree with the senator. I think something like that is, is very positive. And, and uh, like I said in one of our hearings, is if they don't want it in other parts of Texas, bring it down to the valley. You know, we're happy. I know the chairman... Uh, Quite frequently, hears me say that, but but I th I have to agree with with Senator Huffines on that. Is that it's private investment? They're willing to do it, and we should support it. And if we can't get it between Houston, and Dallas, between El Paso and Rio Grande Valley, there'd only be about four riders, so <laughs> um, they will fail. Um, but what we're going to hear from are people who really have a concern, and this goes back to my city council days when you have a zoning fight, you know, about putting up a a business that they don't like, um, the process of condemnation through eminent domain. Um, I think the high-speed rail folks made a mistake in how they originally presented it. They did have an opportunity, and the legislature as a whole um, heard it wasn't as bad as they first thought. So they took them a while to kind of figure that out. Um, if it's truly private money, um, get out of the way and let them do it, but it will be incumbent upon us to make sure that they don't overdo it. I know that's the fear of some people. They're going to take too much land. We're coming off of, of feeling the hurt from the Trans-Texas Corridor, and there's still a lot of hurt feelings out there about that, and I think there's a lot of people who are thinking it's the same thing as that, so it's really incumbent upon them to make sure that's not the word that gets out, but it's their job, not our job, to get that out. But there's many examples of private industry having condemnation powers, pipelines, for instance, and power lines and things of that nature, and, and pipelines do it every day. And this isn't really going to take much right away, maybe 3,500 acres. And being a private uh, company to condemn it, I mean, it's no different if Burlington Northern wants to put a track in for freight, but is that they, they have more flexibility in how they condemn the property, what they can pay to the landowners, and they can, if you're cutting off the south pasture from the north pasture and all that stuff, well, they can, they can pay 100% of, of damages to the south pasture and let the landowner keep the, keep the south pasture and have fee simple title to it. So it's, um, it's, it's, it's a very doable project, and I'm really excited about it. Senator Hall, you said, share the same excitement. It's, it's going to help your district if they uh, do it, you know, potentially. Oh, you know, if it's done in the free enterprise, the way it's talked about, it's private money. 
it's like any other business. Uh, I do think that they'll go one step further, though, if it's in the free market, uh, then they should buy the land on the free market, not use their eminent domain authority uh, for it. As long as they buy the land and, and it's make sure that uh, it's done so that so we're not backstopped by the government, they get halfway through it, and then we pick up a, a broken project and have to finish paying for it, as long as there's protection, so that, so that it truly, you know, just like the gas station on the corner, they lose money or their money halfway through the construction. The state doesn't finish building it for them. And as long as we keep it that way, that's that's fine. I would not. Free enterprise is alive and well. Uh, if anyone has any questions, we've got a couple of mics set up. Please feel free to come over. I'll just have uh, one question here before while we're while people are lining up. Uh, just wanted to ask about Uber and Lyft. Uh, there are different regulations uh, for these vehicle for app, uh, app, you know, these apps uh, across the state. You know, in Houston, the rules are different than in San Antonio. Uh, is there a state role in terms of provide, you know, setting uniform regulations, or are we better off with leaving it to the cities? <laughs> you want to do that? <laughs> Bob and I like this issue. We, we've got a solution, Senator Hall and I. We want to take the regulations off of everybody and level the playing field. Yeah, make it a level playing field. Take take the regulations that we put on all the the taxi cabs that are strictly there to limit competition. Right. You take a look at most of those regulations and that's what they're doing there to, to protect those businesses that are there. Take those off, o open it up, make it free enterprise and uh, let them compete with each other. In fact, I'd let Uber compete with the cities for bus services and uh, I bet you'd find the cities could save a whole lot of money. And I think you'll find in the future is Lyft and Uber and everything else coming behind them. You gotta remember, this is just the beginning, right? Mm -hmm driverless vehicles, the whole, the whole thing that's coming uh, to us is really transformational. And for, to, for us to try to put any roadblocks in front of these guys is very short-sighted and impulsive. And so we just need to open the market up. And I agree with Senator Hall, you're going to see these guys put the public transportation people out of business. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just think about this. The telephone, the landline, those who may have one left, <laughs> what you've got there, it has been regulated by the government since it first got started, and it does exactly what it started out to do. Everybody has one of these things, has basically gone unregulated by the, by the government, and look at what you have today compared to what it started out to be, much less what it's going to be tomorrow. And so I, I agree with the free enterprise. So take the regulations off and let them run free, and I think you'd find that cities like Austin that has wasted huge amounts of money on the bus system could find that they would not only save all that money, but could better serve the people, letting someone like Uber just uh, free enterprise run a bus system in, in the city. This gives me some insight into what the conference committee will be like next session <laughs> between the House and the Senate bill, which isn't so far off. Uh, I'm not quite ready just to say everybody, but is there anybody in this room who thinks that Uber and Lyft are going to go away? I don't. Um, the technology has brought that forward what's happening though and i think we're going to see more on the other side maybe before the 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 move on uber and lyft is the taxi cab companies for the longest time didn't know that they should be asking for less regulations so i think they're starting this and it actually may sound um, kind of contrary but i think because the cities now are having to deal with their taxi cab companies asking for changes they're going to have to deal with uber and lyft also and i think that is a good thing because it is all over the state as far as taxi cabs. It's not statewide mm -hmm. regulated, it's right. individuals. So your mm -hmm. question it's was, passionate. should Uber and Lyft be statewide or local? There was a bill proposed this session, statewide implications trying to, my mind, what they got out of it was force local communities to look at it. San Antonio banned them. But all of a sudden, San Antonio is now looking at something to bring them back because of why? because we're supposed to be reacting to who we represent. And obviously they contacted their city council members and said, we want these services. So they're gonna wind up finding something. In fact, at a hearing, I felt like at one point, all the taxi cab drivers there, I thought, well, why don't you just all go out and apply to be Uber drivers mm -hmm. if you don't like the regulations? But there'll and, be something. And that's liable to happen. And I do believe that this past session, one of the biggest hangups was uh, criminal background checks right. and, and making sure that you know, Uber drivers have that. Now, I like Uber. I use Uber, you know, and uh, I have nothing against with you know, everybody being on the same level playing field. And uh, I think we are going to continue to hear more about that this session. Should there be a, frame, a framework? 
I believe maybe we should have a framework, but let the, the locals decide exactly what type of regulations are I think, But you know, I, I think that, that issue about the, the criminal background checks, I think, to me, that's way overplayed. I think if I was a taxi cab driver, I'd be more worried about criminal background checks on the people I was picking up. Absolutely. <laughs> the, the drivers opposed, are much, so. much more at risk than the passengers. He's got a politician in his I mean, car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they really are. Drivers are much more at risk yeah. than the passengers. Yeah. So <laughs> Drop them 20 miles away from where he wants to be. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. I see real quick the regulations we need statewide. We need a statewide regulation for the, instead of the patchwork and quilt work that we've got today, but it needs to be a regulation that there aren't any, or very minimal for everybody. All right, we've got a couple of folks. Uh, would you like to? Yeah, hi, I'm J.D. Gins. I'm uh, work here in Austin. I have a question in just kind of a broad, broad strokes here. We heard a lot about roads and toll roads, but the dichotomy from the panel that was here before, a lot of our local municipalities want to look at multimodal stuff, trains, rapid buses, and we face a lot of funding constraints. So what, what is it that is possible to empower local control of our own transportation solutions? Do you see buses and trains and light rail as part of the funding equation from the state? And what can the state do to help make that a reality? I'll grab it first. I think absolutely. Uh, I heard a little bit of that panel. What people forget, though, is the majority of the funding for that goes already directly to what's called an MTA, those metropolitan transit areas that, that get those dollars. So it's not like they're competing or fighting against the Federal Highway Administration dollars that come through TxDOT. The only dollars we get as the state for any transit at all is just a small amount of money that goes for rural. I would like to see more uh, conversations between the two parties. But on a metropolitan planning organization, you do have transit, and you do have asphalt and concrete. And maybe we, the legislature, need to give a little more incentive to either one. But again, I'm a visitor here. I've noticed in Austin that they're really pushing all these condos and stuff. But if they wanted to force a little change in the culture, why not build the condos without parking? Then you make your decision. You're, here's the condo. It's 425,000, two bedrooms, one bath. What about parking? There isn't any. You make that decision to be a part of the central city, but nobody has done that in, in certain places. Um, I used to have an apartment here where I could walk everywhere and I actually enjoyed it. I could go to Maudie's and get Mexican food, I could go on the HEB, I could walk across the street and get a beer, walk to the street and get a beer, never drive when you're giving me a beer. Um, <laughs> go to the dry cleaners. We need to encourage more of that, but it's a it, you can convert one to the other, too, which, which would really muddy the waters. You can convert FTA money to Federal Highway. Federal Highway can be converted. We don't talk enough. But I think whatever, whatever you think that'll work, but you got to change the culture. I'm in my truck. My city hasn't given me enough incentive to park it yet or penalize me enough to park it yet. Recently, Tesla Motors came out with a new app that allows their cars to be self-driving on certain roads and highways. And I was just wondering how you saw the self-driving car defect transportation regulations in the future. I'll, I'll jump on that. I think it's going to be transformational. And I think you're going to see all the freight running down the highways within 10 to, certainly 10 to 20 years. They're not going to have any drivers, those 18-wheelers. That's the first place it's going to be profitable for people to use driverless vehicles. And they're coming very fast, a lot quicker than most people think. So I think it's going to be transformational. I think, you think you're going to see wholesale changes in rules and regulations and laws. I like it. There's a term called shockwave effect. There's somebody up there in front of you, 436 cars ahead of you, is texting. And they look down, they tap their brakes. All 436 cars tap their brakes. I'm 437. I came to a complete stop. By the time I start again, it's about two or three minutes. If there was autonomous vehicles, that wouldn't happen. Everybody would just keep going. I'm all for it. Bring it on. Bring it hey, on tomorrow. Actually, I think the biggest market, not to argue with my friend Don here, no, okay. but I think it's going to be parents <laughs> with teenage kids. For driverless cars for at least seniors. six years. <laughs> I was going to say seniors. And, yeah. <laughs> and seniors. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> if you guys haven't uh, seen that interview with the, the, the CEOs of Lyft, the founders of Lyft, you really should Google it up and, and see it. These guys are committed 
to absolutely changing the world on transportation. And they're, and they're really making a big dent in it. Y'all see what they're doing in China, not Lyft, but the other, other companies like Lyft in China, which right now that uh, Lyft and Uber does about one million rides a week. In China, it's three million a day that companies like Lyft and Uber operate in. And they're gonna fix it so that you don't, there are no, you don't need a vehicle. Well, statewide regulation just, and only know, 1%. The cell phone right here, you don't need a vehicle. We spend resource. trillions and trillions of dollars on buying and servicing vehicles and things like that. So they've got it down now in a few cities where it, no matter where you take your ride, it's still less than owning a vehicle. So that's their goal. And it's, it's, it's coming and it's a huge wave. Mike Goldman, thanks everyone for a great panel this afternoon. Jimmy Pickett mentioned that cost of highways is going to other factors that contribute. Road construction. I'm in that industry a little bit, and I can tell you that it's definitely uh, demand. That we've got a booming economy in Texas right now. Subdivisions are getting built everywhere, and there's just a huge demand for the products. And so, you know, the suppliers can get it. They're going to charge what they can get. And, and the longer it takes to construct something, of course, you're going to have that inflation rate as well. So, uh, for example, now that we have a NEPA document that allows us to uh, uh, push an environmental document a lot faster for construction, which normally take two and a half years, now it takes you about a year and a half or about 18 months, a year and a half, uh, that also helps lower that inflation, but the longer it takes for those documents to be done, uh, for construction to be made, that inflation rate goes up as well. Good afternoon. Uh, Richard Dayu from El Paso. Just to follow up on the conversation, comments regarding Lyft and Uber and others, and I really like the idea of deregulated environment level playing field. We are using our roads. What's the function? How do you appropriately tax them all, because one of the battles right now between Uber and cab companies is an example. Not paying their fair share. How do we address the deregulation portion of this while making sure that they're contributing tax base, paying their fair share of the use of our roads? I'll, I'll jump on that again. <laughs> I would look at it this way. Uber, the taxis are probably paying too much. They're not, they, that was just a revenue source, an easy source for somebody to attack from the local level and get some revenue out of it. Uh, they're not, everybody makes their living on the roads. Look, it, I mean, it, we just do. We, if we don't have good roads, we can't get to jobs, we can't get to work. There's nothing more important than having a good job. So technically, everyone benefits from the roads, not just folks driving on it like taxis or Ubers. So probably we need to look at just getting rid of the taxing, the tax on the taxis. That'd be my suggestion. If we totally deregulate, I don't know that there would be um, a tax. And, and first off, my understanding, and I'll, the two gentlemen on my right will correct me, it's not a tax if not everybody pays it. So if it's uh, Uber, Lyft, and taxi cabs, it might have life in the legislature. But I'd hate for us just to look at it, because I was kiddingly, you know, when Senator Huffines was mentioning $3 million a day, and I said, well, at 1%, we'd have a fee. I mean, there's a good revenue source there. It depends on if they really are doing something above and beyond what the average driver is. When we were looking at uh, vehicle miles traveled, that's a really tough one. I don't want to monitor in my car just because I drive less, you charge something. What about where I live in El Paso where people come from a foreign country, people come from New Mexico, we can't figure out how vehicle miles traveled would work. It would be because, in, in my mind, you'd have to make sure and, and under, that we would understand, I would understand, that they're getting something above and beyond what the day-to-day -day average driver was getting before there'd be some kind of fee. But I agree with you, sir, in that it should be uniform and across the, the board. And if we had autonomous vehicles, we'd save a lot of money. There'd be no traffic signals. Do you realize that? There wouldn't be a single traffic signal, stop sign, yield. There'd be nothing. We'd just be just going like this. <laughs> a computer can put the brake on. I love this. A computer can put the brake on in a billionth of a second. <laughs> it takes a human a lot longer. Yeah, you find those, a lot of those fees, a lot of the fees that are collected by municipalities end up collecting the fee to pay for the, the oversight that goes with collecting the fee. It's kind of like collecting the tolls at the cost of collection. 
So you'll find that, that it's not necessary that any much is lost other than the oversight that's no longer needed because the regulation went away. Yes, sir. Do we have time? Yeah. Cool. Somebody mentioned 130, which I think is the large highway east of Austin. Correct. Yeah. That's going chronically underused. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. Um, and that we could buy out the toll company for what was 150 million dollars a year, 178 million dollars. 250. Like 250. Okay. For how many years? The the life of the debt is so it'd probably be somewhere between 20 and 30 years. Yeah. Um, why isn't anybody using that road? Is it because of the toll? Would buying out the toll make people start using the road? Or is it the truckers just look at it and say, a straight line between two points is shorter than a longer line? If they're coming from San Antonio or Laredo to Dallas. There hasn't been probably enough analysis to answer that question because no. I would have to look at everything and maybe the first person that said, oh gosh, after you showed me this, maybe it won't work. So I'm gonna have to, full disclosure. I'll tell you what I did do. I asked the trucking industry if they would um, poll their companies that use the corridor from South Texas up through Dallas and how many more would use it if 130 was not told. And I have those numbers. And it was astounding how many truck companies would use 130 if there was no toll. And I know that that is a fact because TxDOT we appropriated them $9 million a year for the next two years to reduce tolls for truckers. Well, why would we do that? I mean, everybody should, if there's a toll, you should pay, in my mind, you should pay the toll. But we gave them money so we could attract trucks onto that. So just by that sheer um, fact that the legislature did that, I think we can pretty much prove that if you remove the toll, you're going to have people use it. But no one has actually sat down and just said, let's run the numbers. And we can do that. Uh, I think it was Senator Hall mentioned that we spend money differently whether we're developing it as a toll or a non-toll. We know and guess at the traffic. And when it's a toll, we already, at our MPO level, reduce the traffic tremendously because it's a toll. We know there's not even going to be probably you're lucky if you get 20, 25% of the traffic on. And mine in El Paso right now, as I said, there's about 6% of all the traffic that goes down this road in a day, about 6% uses the toll. That's it. But it's still 6% that they're collecting money on. And, mm -hmm. and you know, I use 130. I use 130 coming in from the valley and I take it back on my way out. And I come out in San Antonio and I 10. And you know, this past Thursday, I saw an increase in traffic more than I've ever seen on 130 coming in Austin. But I think at first glance, when you actually look at 130 as compared to 35, it is the, the idea of using that straight road directly through Austin in order to get out to, you know, diverting yourself over uh, so many miles to get onto 130. And plus the tolls also have, have something to do with it. But I use 130 all the time coming in from the valley. At the speed limit. At the at speed, speed limit. <laughs> yeah. 88. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we have one last question over here. Hi, gentlemen. Michelle Phillips from Houston, Texas. There has been a lot of talk about uh, driverless automobiles. Um, there has been a lot of talk about multimodal automobile uh, purchases or ownership. How do you think that is going to affect? That's a real good question. Um, we looked at all those going out 25, 30 years. We did not try to come up with a factor of how many of the millennials, because today our demographers tell us that millennials are driving less. My youngest child, when she turned 16, was in no hurry to get her driver's license. When she did get her driver's license and got her car, she immediately drove it to a park and ride and took the bus to the university. So I'm pretty proud of that. I think it will have an effect. What will happen is we did put uh, sunset provisions in there, and as I said earlier, the legislature is going to be forced to look at this every four to six years, so we'll be able to start spotting a trend, and mostly based on our comptroller. Our comptroller will be looking out two years, looking out two years, and we'll, we should be able to spot it and hopefully make adjustments if need be. And I think that also helps answer the question that Prop 7 isn't a, a fix-all. You know, I think we need to look at other ways of funding other than just uh, depending on Prop 7 to solve all our problems. 
expectation that the second portion, it was mentioned earlier that the second portion, which is the automobile um, sales tax, would at some point supersede the sales tax. Yes. So I'm trying to understand yes. where that's going to come in. We still, we still believe that's a situation going up 30 years, yes. Um, I, I'm not as uh, confident that we may have the trucks in, in 10 years. I think it's coming. I don't want to be in its way. I'm not going to be one that would stop autonomous vehicles. I know, again, it's the fear of somebody not being driving there, but I don't know that it'll take um, 10 years. It may be a little bit longer, but we're going to be able to spot the trends, I think, and hopefully uh, make a change before it's too late. I think we will. Please join me in thanking this panel for a great discussion. Thank you, Thank you all.